Welcome to Data Remediations, a podcast connecting environmental data with people and places through stories and art. Hi, this is Grace Burrows, and I'm Evie Sorrell, and we are public research interns at PPEH and your hosts for Episode 7, Part 1 of Data Remediations. Episode 7 of The Pod features another national partner in our data storytelling campaign. In Episode 6, we heard from our partner in Houston, Dominic Boyer, and we'll head back to Houston in a later episode. And we'll be talking with our storytellers in New York for Episode 8, and headed later to Baltimore and then Oregon. You can check out our partners' profiles and projects in the story bank at datarefuge.org. This episode features our project hub, Philadelphia, and we've got so many fascinating Philadelphia data stories that we've split episode 7 into two parts. This first episode is all about a data storytelling and climate sensing artwork, a hybrid virtual reality and live performance called The Altering Shores, conceived and directed by artist Roderick Coover. Rod's been with us on the show before. Check out the first part of episode 3 to hear more about his work. For this episode, we hosted a performance talkback with four people who had participated in the live performance, including two of my fellow PPEH interns, Katie and Peter, who had been the VR docent. They were joined by the PPEH director, Bethany Wigan, and writer, historian, founder of Hidden City Philadelphia, and all-around celebrity, Nathaniel Popkin. Altering Shores attempts to show, literally with images, Philadelphia and the Delaware Bay's chemical heritage and the toxic legacies that may recirculate with zombie afterlives in our era of sea level rise. The banks of the Schuylkill and Delaware rivers are dotted with heavy refining infrastructure. They are silent killers, in the words of Philly Thrive activist Sylvia Bennett. In the second part of episode 7, we'll hear from Ms. Bennett, and other Philly Thrive members. They've been advocating for the right to breathe for years now, and after the Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery blew itself up in June 2019, they've been at the forefront of many groups organizing and working together to try to make sure that this is this refinery's last explosion. And to make sure that fossil fuel refining has no future in South Philly, where our asthma rates are through the roof. Bethany Wigan, Katie Collier, and Peter Wojcik, all from PPEH, got together earlier this week with writer Nathaniel Popkin to talk about their participation in the live performance of The Altering Shores in late November. Artist Rod Coover has been researching refinery infrastructure along global waterways for years. Drawing on his archives of footage captured in VR while kayaking along the Delaware, as the 2019 PPH artist-in-residence, Rod made this hybrid project that we spread across campus in November 2019, with a culminating live performance in the Annenberg Center. To make this multimodal project, Coover collaborated with Penn and Temple students and with poet Nick Monfort and musician Adam Vitiscus on the live performance. You can check out Data Remediation's companion blog to see a catalog of still images from that performance. And Rod is now cutting a performance video as we speak. 
For the live show, actual footage of the Delaware's chemical and refining plants were projected onto four transparent screens bolted to the stage floor of Penn's Annenberg Performing Arts Center. Some audience members watched, while musicians attempted to live accompany this video footage, playing, repeating, and recombining in sequences the musicians didn't know in advance. And then, other audience members, including the four who we are about to hear from, were asked to navigate the performance space. They were given no script, just the instructions that they should do what seemed right and appropriate to navigate these altering shores. In an age of uncertainty, how will you react? But unlike humans and other animals impacted by actual rising tides and storm surges, these performers could find safety from the show, taking a seat if they needed a break. Let's hear what they have to say. I'm here with Nathaniel Popkin, who's about 12 inches away from my head as we're sharing a mic. And sharing the other mic are Katie and Peter. And I'm going to have each of us introduce ourselves. This is Bethany Wiggins speaking. This is Nathaniel Popkin. Hi, this is Katie Collier. And this is Peter Wojcik. So each of us, the four of us who are now squeezed in a tight room, actually also all participated in the live performance of Rod Coover's The Altering Shore. You've heard from Rob on this pod before, and we each were live performers in an experimental performance, experimental in many ways, in that we were experimented on, in a certain sense. Rod invited us to be part of the live performance and gave us fairly minimal instructions about what that meant. So we got together and are here to think and talk about what that experience of pretty radical uncertainty was like for us. We'll hear from each of us. We're trying to have just a conversation, even though the recording studio isn't necessarily the most conducive to congenial conversation. Katie and Peter, you had both met Rod and maybe knew a little bit more about what we were intending, but it was still pretty uncertain what was expected of you or, or what you would do what was it like like can you set the scene for us we 20 of us met sort of outside the entrance to the theater doors there was an audience of um, maybe 100 people and there were trained performers on stage musicians and rod of course was at the side running the film projection so there was this sound and light that was very well choreographed and then we were set loose like what did you think about what you were told what were you feeling yeah so we were basically told just to act like moving water which I found really interesting and I remember walking in a line I believe Peter was in front of me and although those were the instructions given we quickly dispersed and started moving all in like our own directions which I think Maybe the purpose of the performance is to be sort of chaotic, sort of random as we all like move in different directions. Yeah, I can relate to not really knowing what to expect, especially when I received the instructions. The other part of this art piece was um, a series of like four 
site-specific virtual reality installations that Katie and I were a part of facilitating um, in the public. And even after experiencing that aspect of the project and seeing the sort of same type of visuals and the same types of sounds and poetry that were also present in the live performance, I still was just kind of un totally unsure of what I should be doing. And with the, the sort of open-endedness of the instructions, I found myself not really knowing what the boundaries are for us as performers. So as I was walking through the stage space, I was really like fascinated by all the performers and the projections who were around me, but I wasn't quite sure to what extent I could like engage with them and to, and it took a while for me to be like comfortable really walking across the entire space and standing in front of the projections. And I wasn't sure if I could like speak at any point during the performance, uh, which was like a key part of it because a lot of the performers were um, saying these chemical names that were found in the Schuylkill River like over and over again. But yeah, I felt like an intruder in a lot of ways. I don't know if anyone can relate. I definitely had that experience of feeling like maybe I'm out of place, maybe I shouldn't stand here, ooh, I'm blocking the projection. I don't want to disturb the image that's supposed to be projected on one of these four screens. Only three ended up being operational for the performance, but there was this sense of like, is my body part of this work or not part of this? Am I supposed to disappear? <laughs> like, I wasn't really sure. One thing that I, I'm glad, Peter, that you were th thinking with that difference between you and Katie had been kind of docents for these site-specific VR immersive experiences. And one of the things that Rod and I had talked a lot about was a kind of thought experiment, VR as being an immersive technology, but what would it be like to actually immerse people not through virtual reality, but with their bodies into an ongoing piece of art that they were part of its creation. Do you want to talk a little bit more about like how you experienced what was being immersed in the VR part of the Altering Shores? What was that like versus being immersed in this sometimes cacophonous, sometimes quite beautiful, but very much like multi-sensorial, multi-channeled show? I think that participating in the art performance was much more immersive than the VR experiment. I would say just because we were being watched by an audience, which I think was intimidating at first. But once you sort of got used to that and accepted that, I think just being in the space and on the stage and just being surrounded, especially by all the lights and the vocal performers and the projections, I think you really felt a part of the performance and you just really like felt what sort of Roderick Cooper was aiming for which was I believe it was just the chaos of the climate crisis. I was gonna say right along with that, that because you didn't know really whether you were a participant or whether you were an observer or an observer being observed, or what you were supposed to observe, like the video installations were visually really interesting, and the sounds and the music that was being played were, were, was really quite beautiful at times and also upsetting at other times. So you couldn't be sure whether you were supposed to be absorbing all of this, taking it in as an audience member, analyzing it, reflecting on it, 
And at the same time, you were trying to figure out who you were among the group of other people. And it occurs to me that as we face radical ecological crisis, where, where systems begin to shut down and become overwhelmed and nature splits out of balance, we're aware of it. We're watching it happen and we're living in it at the same time trying to understand our social relationships at the same time. So it really was a kind of interesting version of, of reality, though it felt nothing like reality at all. Yeah, the acute awareness of like other human beings was definitely what set apart the live performance from the virtual reality installations, right? Because VR is such like a heavily mediated sort of art form where like you're like occupying this world but in a lot of ways, you're sort of disconnected from what, like, materially what's around you. And in this performance, I was also trying to figure out, like, what the other performers were doing. The scripted performers, the guest performers. And every time I, like, caught a glimpse of the audience, I was like, oh, I wonder, like, what they're seeing right now. And, like, if they're, are they looking at me? Are they looking at the projectors? Are they looking, what are, like, what is going on in the audience's mind? And how your sort of, like, role or your position within the auditorium sort of ex- changed how you see like what is going on around you yeah i want to pick up on what you were just saying peter about the connections or in vr feeling that you're not connected to the material world whereas in this performance i couldn't myself i couldn't stop feeling connected to the greater surroundings of being in philadelphia at a particular moment of time in which the climate crisis is very much apparent here Apparent also, of course, in the ways that the river is an increasing threat to many of our low-lying neighborhoods, which have so long cited heavy chemical and refining infrastructures, including the Philadelphia Energy Solutions Refinery, which is currently in bankruptcy sale, a topic which we'll take up on the next episode of this pod. And because I've been working, maybe because I've been working on that refinery site, I just the connections I was making while I was immersed in this theater performance um, were at times actually completely overwhelming to me and brought home, I think, the gravity of the health crisis that's going on there in a way that actually made me have to take a seat (laughs) several times. I felt exhausted and disheartened and I think sad in a way that I was surprised that that happened in that performance. had anticipated to some extent I'm always game for an experiment and I thought like oh I got to invite 20 people who I really like and they don't necessarily know each other but I like them individually and will be these unscripted performers on stage and I had expected a kind of if I expected anything I expected maybe a kind of excitement and maybe a like a kind of loose collaboration and what I instead came away with and I I hate to sound like such a doubter but like I just had to sit down and I was just tear like just in tears and I couldn't even after the performance ended like as a host I felt like I should be like gracious and thank people and I just like couldn't even do it like I was just finished I don't know I was curious about the type of connections that you also were making with Um, whether it's the lived experience here in Philadelphia or 
Katie and Peter, uh, you hail from further afield. Nathaniel and I are both Philadelphians. I'm curious about what connections to material uh, realities you were drawing in that space. Well, I'd been familiar with Rod's work mapping the chemical pollution of the rivers. So I knew that there was an aspect of this which was to make seen what normally is not seen. And my rational brain during the performance looked forward to the moments in which the the singers, vocalists, were poetically saying the names of the chemicals found in the river. Their names were on the video screen in sort of grainy footage. You're going across you and... I totally agree, uh, Bethany, that it felt like when it went across your body, it felt like it was part of your body. And of course, we know that it is. There's this strange um, kind of denial of, we have such a very, very difficult time facing these issues and talking about them and then imagining the ways in which we might respond and act. And the thing about this performance, and maybe it sort of had the effect that you're talking about, where it sort of forced you to sit down and take a break and move away from it, is that I'm not sure that it solved that problem of helping us, giving us a language, helping us um, to communicate with each other about this. It kind of resulted in, an, in a sense of being overwhelmed and paralyzed and powerless. And maybe that was Rod's point, I mean, it ought to have been perhaps, but at the same time, I noticed people were sitting down and I was wondering why they were sitting down because I follow rules. So I always just keep going, <laughs> but, but it was like, well, all right. So she's reacting that way. She, he's reacting that way. He's standing over in the corner, like just trying to understand what this was doing to each of us. And I couldn't. And that was part of the paralysis, I think. Nathaniel, how was it for you to be given these pretty minimal instructions and then set loose on stage with a group of 19 other performers? I didn't mind having minimal instructions. I don't tend to panic in any sort of situation, and I don't also, I don't think things through. So I hadn't thought about what it might be like. I hadn't asked you when you invited me, okay, well, what are you talking about? I noticed the language was a little bit strange. I brought along my wife, and so we did it together. But I didn't give it any thought, nor did I try to imagine what it might be like. Just went along with it. And even now, I'm still not sure if it was anything like what I expected it would be, or how it quite interrupted my, my day or evening or my way of thinking. I'm thinking, what if we imagined this performance happening in a space that wasn't like a dim auditorium? And if all of this was something that we engaged in, in just kind of sort of like a, maybe a gallery setting or like, just like a room that was set up like sort of more casually, like would people feel more comfortable like speaking to each other during the performance, which was right again, like a boundary that I just sort of figured I couldn't cross because I really wanted to like discuss things and like, like ask other people like, oh, how do you feel about this? But I couldn't during that performance. And so I'm wondering, how does this translate to the way that 
climate change and dealing with uh, issues like pollution and environmental justice, how, how those play out depending on the settings that they're being discussed in, right? I remember, like, growing up, a big part of, like, newscasts about climate change were, like, debates between climate scientists and climate change deniers and that was like a and that sort of like set the table for how the rest of the discussion was going to play out um whereas like other people have been doing the work of like addressing these issues for a very long time and i'm just curious to see what you all think about that one of the things that i was reflecting on a lot even when i was sitting down and feeling really despairing is a book that's been important to me for a while is uh, a work by ecological humanist Stacey Alimo, and she writes a lot about toxic embodiment. And on one level, like, you know, we know that the food that we consume and what we drink and everyday ecologies are also fairly toxic and, and laden with all kinds of things. Indoor air quality is among the worst, <laughs> like much worse than being outside um, in most places, actually. And yet, like, I had never felt so in a chemical bath as I did in that performance. Um, and it made me also think, like, you know, we talk a lot about fence line communities, and rightly so, in environmental justice communities. But one thing that that performance did for me, as disheartening as that was, was to really sort of say, like, we are all living on this awful fence line. Like, there is no outside of that. Um, and that immersive experience was, I think, what was so overwhelming to me, that I was watching, you know, like, toluene, like, broadcast across my body, which made me then think, like, God, I wonder how much toluene is in my bloodstream. <laughs> like, you know, how much are my organs also made up of this crap, right? And that was really kind of scary, actually. Katie... You were talking before we got on air about some really cool questions you had. Do you want to take a stab at those? Yeah, so my my question is basically towards Peter because we're both college students. And I'm really wondering, how do you find that like learning through an art performance like this is different from learning in a classroom setting? Yeah, so being a participant in something like that is definitely and especially in sort of this artistic like humanistic intervention and not something that's like a lecture or something or like looking at a graph or something definitely opens up questions i think that you wouldn't or that you might not experience in the classroom so when you're sort of like embodying this performer who's like existing in this toxic space how might that affect the way that you think about not just how you're personal being is affected by these processes but like your own role in these processes and like your positionality among like the rest of what is going on in that ecosystem and so that's why I think artistic interventions like that are really useful in creating new ways of thinking with ecological crisis. I like the dichotomy of classroom to art performance or interactive performance but also just as Bethany said classroom to interactive performance to living on the front lines. And I think that we have, you know, so much cognitive dissonance on this issue. It's, I mean, certainly we're all on the front lines and that's the point of this. But yet, of course, even those people who are, who are living on the front lines, they find ways of pushing it away. You know, like if you went to the neighborhood where the uh, refinery is, you would knock on doors and, and people 
some people would be honest with you and they would tell you, well, my aunt died of cancer and, you know, they would give you a long list. And by the way, that those people were uh, arguing against the refinery in 1970 during Earth Week. And there's a great video of those people in that neighborhood being interviewed about the pollution that was giving their kids asthma and all kinds of stuff. But like, but other people would be like, well, that's a job. You know, the, uh, my, my uh, father works there or something like that. And so they would just turn it away from one of the things that might happen if we accept the fact that our bodies are filled with toxic chemicals and plastic and, and all this stuff is just to shrug and say, well, we're all sitting here. We're all going to die anyway. Um, I guess that's just the world we live in. And it just further kind of conditions us to it. So I, these are just questions. Like, you know, though, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I totally hear what you're saying about maybe like, oh, fatalistic and shrug. But I have to say that when I reflected on that feeling I had of being completely overwhelmed and, and almost kind of like, I felt like it was like the chemical sublime. <laughs> like I was just like, totally overwhelmed. What I came away with thinking, though, was, you know, we weren't given a script. And that was also very intentional in the sense that there's no script in a crisis, right? Like, that's sort of by definition, like, it's beyond the narrative structures that we know. And there's also, of course, slow crises, you do like, this is like an ongoing crisis. But it, what I really started reflecting on was I felt so, so horrible that I thought, I don't ever want to feel like that again. So what am I going to do? I'm going to organize, right? I'm going to make a script. Um, and I felt like that was a really big part of some of the work that I was also doing soon after this performance. We, with graduate students and students in the program, have been working with neighbors who live along the fence line. And we did our first crack, our first test run of a fence line tour that was co-created by neighbors and graduate students and PPH. And that was our organizing. And it was like amazingly therapeutic for me. Um, so that was the kind of my experience to this lack of script was then I just can't ever feel this crappy again. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Has the performance resonated for ways and and that you would say, oh yeah, actually, you know, later in December in the in the intervening weeks, I've been thinking or doing these other things. Like, what's going on with you guys? Yeah, I think just being a part of that performance and then also being a part of that tour and going on that tour um, that the graduate students ran. I was thinking a lot about what I experienced in the performance, especially the the names of the chemicals floating around. And when we were in that South Philadelphia neighborhood, I was thinking a lot about how those are the chemicals we're breathing in right now. Those are the chemicals that are possibly like entering our bodies right now. And these are also the chemicals that are entering the bodies of the people that live there every single day. So I was really cognizant of that on the tour, which I, I found interesting, like making that connection between the performance and the tour. Yeah, it was definitely uncanny listening to like people who had lived in this neighborhood in Grays Ferry for like 40 years or something and um, just like talk about, you know, growing up next to this massive refinery, family members like passing away from serious illnesses and just like, but also like seeing like this sort of skeleton, not, it's not, is it a skeleton? Right. So it's not active, but it's still. It's a zombie. Like, yeah. The, oh yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it it's, it's like the, the, the zombie refinery that's like still here and you're trying to like visualize in your head like the stuff 
that's coming out of it and like settling like within you know miles away from it it just kind of put everything into perspective and was really it was really like emotionally charged in a way that like you wouldn't get just from like you know driving past it and and looking at it from a distance i think the participation in the in the performance was part of a chain of things that has been going on in my life thinking about what to do what to do how to act how to think how to respond ethically how to relate to each other how to expand awareness to like a full consciousness of what's happening here without being overwhelmed without falling into complete despair and over the last few months i've been trying to think about well what what am i going to do and and i think that one of the key things that came out of this performance and this is why my favorite part was the the chemical names is the facing it is the facing the realness of it is the looking at it and looking at it and focusing on it and thinking about it and reflecting on all that stuff which is really beyond our comprehension but trying to in any case and then from there just like as you said Bethany dealing with it scripting scripting what you're going to do next because otherwise we're going to go crazy and i don't know you guys are much younger than we are on this side of the room um you have much more time to have to confront this stuff so i i wonder how you being in your early 20s or or late teens hopefully full of optimism and just you know filled with life in that way how do you how do you absorb this how do you absorb it without absorbing it in a way so i would say one thing i really i really learned from being a part of the performance and then also being on the tour is i i really wanted to like bring this back to my peers and show them that climate change isn't something that is in the the distant future it's something that's happening here and now and air pollution especially which i i feel like like my knowledge was greatly increased by just like the whole idea of the the chemical names uh during the performance that yeah climate change is a here and now issue and in south philadelphia uh, a place very close to the university of pennsylvania very close to all the students here they're experiencing some of the worst effects of it and i think a lot of students aren't aware of that and that's something i've definitely been working towards is just increasing the awareness of how people so close to us are experiencing really terrible effects of this crisis one thing that i've been thinking about lately is the idea of totality and how we think something might be total but it's never really the case so for example between altering shores and between futures beyond refining when we think of all of these things right massive fossil fuel pollution climate change on a global scale um and we think of this as like a total like disaster there there's always room for emotions beyond like despair um right there's always like hope there's always like desire for action there's always positive emotions that also arise as well um and the other side of that is like you know how does this connect when you're a part of a university that's across the river from this massive refinery that 
refuses to like divest in its endowment from the fossil fuel industry and it's like this very hyper local example of specific effects that it has but also like knowing about the stuff that happens at Penn so like the program in environmental humanities and like fossil free Penn for example nothing is ever total there's always like room to to change things and to to approach things from a new angle I think that's exactly right in the decomposition of these systems because they are gonna I mean the refinery is a great example the zombie refinery is in fact decomposing and the connections, the systems that are mostly hidden but also pretty real for the people who live in that neighborhood that are economic systems and our transportation systems and, and air systems and all of these things, as they break down, they certainly create opportunity for intervention. And that is the exciting thing to grab onto that. And the refinery is such a great example of, of a way to intervene and to empower people who have been told basically they have no power for so long. I really want to just thank you for such a great conversation and uh, I hope we get to do this again soon. Thank you guys. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. Yeah.